Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter two is where we're gonna start this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we have ushers coming down the aisles right now. They'd love to get a Bible into your hands if you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible. And like I say every Sunday, if you don't own a Bible, take one of these home as our gift to you. But grab a copy of God's Word uh, uh, or, or grab your phone or a tablet, whatever you've got, and go to Genesis chapter 2. But here's something else I want you to do. Put your finger in Genesis chapter 2 and also go to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> put, a, put a bulletin or a bookmark or your finger or your neighbor's finger, whatever. Put it in Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to be kind of going between two verses. Normally, I like to just grab one piece of Scripture. We're going to go verse by verse this morning a little different. I, I want to take apart a couple of different places in Scripture. We're going to be in Genesis 2, but, but real soon we're going to be going over to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> and we've been tracking through this idea of burnout, talking about what, what does it mean to, to be burned out and where can we find hope in this place of burnout. And, and we're getting some feedback as we're going through this sermon series. People go, man, this is exactly where I'm at. Like I would say, how many people here, you're like, you know, this is kind of where I am. Like, I get it, man. I, I, I have been burned out or I am burned out or I understand what this is all about. Anybody like raise your hand. Like, yeah, I've been there. And some of you are so tired, you can't even raise your hands, right? Like, you're, that's how burned out I am this morning. I think this is something that, that all of us can relate to. I mean, some of you on, on a deep level where you've experienced it, or maybe you're even there right now, you're completely spent. You've, you've used up all the fuel and there is no more fuel and you're done. Or, or maybe this morning you're not flat on your back, you're not in that, man, I can't get out of bed kind of burnout, but you, you find yourself beyond just normal tired. It's, it's lasting longer than a day or two. What started as distractions have now moved into you being disillusioned with, with parts of life, and, and maybe it's even pointing to past distraction and disillusion, but now to despair and, and disablement, where you're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to last continuing to do this. And maybe for you, it might not be a physical tired, but you're in a spiritual fog. Your mind and your heart are just heavy. We defined burnout this way, this idea where the demands placed on you exceed the resources you have in you. And this morning, I want to look at something that, that we don't often talk about when we talk about what it's like to walk with Christ. We talk about spirituality. We don't always talk about this. And, and yet, what we're going to talk about this morning can have such a huge impact on our hearts and our minds and our bodies and our soul. It can be something that could lead us to burnout for sure, and it's our work. It's really where we spend the majority of our time, where we're either at a job or we're, we're at school or we're taking care of kids and, and we spend most of our time working. And yet when we talk about following Jesus, we, we somehow miss out on this huge chunk of our lives, that, that where do we as Christ followers, how do we walk with Christ through those 40 to 60 hours a week that's spent at work? Now, here's the great thing. We may not talk about it all the time as Christ followers, but the Bible definitely doesn't avoid it. It's not an afterthought in God's word. In fact, I just heard someone say this, that if you go through the book of Acts, 39 of the 40 miracles you can read about in the book of Acts happen outside of the church. Most of Jesus' parables, 45 of 52 of Jesus' parables take place. The stories he tells to talk about the kingdom of God are stories that are, find their, their root in, in the workplace. None of Jesus' 12 disciples came out of seminary. 
None of them came from some sort of religious establishment. No, no, every single one of Jesus' 12 disciples were either white collar or, or more of them blue collar workers. So it's important for us to ask, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus in my work? How, how can I work without it leading me to burn out, to lose Christ in my work? How can I redeem my work? To, to redeem something means you, you take it and put it back into its proper place. It, it had a purpose and that purpose was ruined or marred or lost. And to redeem it means grabbing a hold of that and bringing it back to where it should be. It's taking our work and, and where our work has become our identity, where our work has become our source, our idol, or, or maybe on the other side, it's not something you, you have as an idol. Maybe for you, where work has become this necessary evil. You're like, man, I hate work and I'm just waiting till the lottery ticket comes in and I'm done with this. What's it mean to redeem work? Away from that towards what God really designed work for. What, what does God actually say about work? What does God say about work that can transform how I see work, that can actually transform my heart in the workplace? Where it can bring hope, where it can adjust my heart. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our first point this morning that we find from God's word talking about work. It's this, my work is divinely designed. My, my work is divinely designed. Genesis chapter two, if you have your Bible open there, it starts off like this. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. You know, we can, we can sometimes read through scripture and we hear phrases and we, we hear scripture a lot so much, we just kind of burn through things and we, we can miss something that is so earth shattering, so important. It just said in those two verses that God worked. It's so countercultural from when this was first written. You see, in Eastern religions, gods didn't work. The Babylonian account of creation, there's this God, Marduk, and Marduk creates the world, and then all the other gods kind of get mad at Marduk saying, why'd you create that? Now we gotta take care of it. It's like, thanks for building me the big lake house. Does it come with a maid, right? That's kind of what these gods are like. And, and Marduk says, I know what I'll do. I'll create something super lowly that we'll call them humans, and they'll be our slaves. They'll do the work for us. So that as gods, we can kick back like the gods we are. In, in Western religion, you look at, at Greek mythology, you have things like Pandora's box. Do you remember that story where, where Zeus gives Pandora this jar and he says, don't open it, Pandora, don't open it. And so Pandora opens it, right? And what comes out of it? Death and disease and, and, and decay and work. Work was released Work was seen as something in the same category as death and disease and decay. And, and yet we read in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 saying something completely opposite about work. Saying work isn't lowly at all. Work isn't a result of evil. Work is something that God does. Work is good. But unfortunately in the church, we, we've thought probably more been inspired by mythology and then, then scripture so that throughout history, religious leaders and philosophers make this divide between what we would call the sacred and the secular. And we would say, no, 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 no. Everything spiritual in church, that's the sacred stuff. But, but your work, I mean, that, that's just secular. That's just, that's, that's so demeaning. That's, 
It's part of the curse. It's not something good, especially if it involves manual labor. I mean, that's the lowest of the low. That's what we start to believe. Socrates said this. He said, don't work. But if you have to work, avoid at all costs. But if you have to work, Socrates says, become a teacher or a philosopher. But for sure, don't get your hands dirty. Don't do anything manual. Look at verse 7 of chapter 2 in Genesis. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Look at verse 15. Down a few more verses. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So, so what do we see here? We have a God with dirt under his fingernails. We, we have a, a God who's, who's digging into their, digging a ditch to, to create humankind. We have a God who plants a garden. I mean, we serve a God who gets his hands dirty. He, he creates us. He creates humankind. And what's he do? He puts humankind in a garden and says, take care of it. Be a gardener like I am. I mean, scripture says that we're created in the image of God. Part of that image is that we work. I mean, you got to think about this theologically, that, that this is all happening before Adam and Eve chose to be their own gods. Before Adam and Eve said, we don't want to follow you as our God. We want to be our own God. And then sin enters the world and the curse of sin is felt on humankind. Before sin messes with any of that though, right in the middle of the paradise of the Garden of Eden, we have work. And not just any kind of work. It's menial work. It's manual work. It's, it's get your hands dirty, you come home exhausted at the end of the day kind of work. So think about that. that when you head to work for the day, do you, do you realize you're serving a God who works? Who gets his hands dirty? A God whose, whose son didn't come like the Greeks thought he would come as, as a philosopher or the Romans would expect him to come as a, a noble statesman. No, no, not even as the Jews expected Jesus, the Messiah, to come as a, as a great general and a warrior. No, Jesus, God the Son, our Savior, our Lord, our hope, the one we give our lives to, he came as a carpenter. He would fit in very well here in Muskoka, right? Listen, here's what I'm saying. Don't let the world give you an unbiblical view of what work is. Don't let the world tell you with, with, with dirty hands and a sore back. Moms, don't let culture tell you that as you handle another dirty diaper, don't, don't let them give you a perspective of what work is. Let's, let's find our perspective. Let's find our view from God's word. That we were created in God's image and set to work. We were created in God's image and then God says, here's my creation, subdue it, rule over it, bring newness, bring order in what I've created. I mean, think about what that means. If, if you're a, a businessman or woman and you've been called in, as an image bearer of God to bring order, to bring order to your business, to make it productive, that's walking as God's called you to walk. As, as a teacher, like, like the Spirit of God in creation, as a teacher, you're taking the raw materials of students' minds and you're, you're bringing out their greatest potential. Maybe you're in the medical field. You're taking a disordered body and you're bringing order in. Maybe you're a, a counselor or, or a physical trainer. And you're, you're taking a, a disordered life and you're bringing order to that life. 
Maybe you're a builder or someone in the trades. You're taking raw materials and you're creating something out of them. I don't know what you do, but you can think of any, any profession that you have. You're, you're a hairstylist, a gardener, a painter, an author, a graphic designer, a, a computer technician, a, a peace officer, a politician, a lawyer, a stay-at-home parent, a, a financial advisor. Maybe you serve at a restaurant or you work the checkout at the grocery store. You are, in the moments that you're working, you're doing the same work that the Holy Spirit did on the day of creation. You're bringing order out of chaos. Listen, work can wear us out when we have a low understanding of what work is. We need to understand that it's been divinely ordained by God, divinely designed by God, that we're created in God's image as people who work. And we, often you can think of the Garden of Eden as this, this perfect place where, man, they just kicked back and rested with nothing to do, but that's not true. God put Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, you guys take care of this. You guys be fruitful, be, be, multiply. You, you guys fill the earth. I mean, there's this idea when you read through the Genesis account that, that God created the earth, but he said, I'm not gonna finish it. I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna finish what I'm doing, but I, I want you guys to continue to work, to continue to bring order. Instead, what do we do? We, we divide up what we call secular work and sacred work. And we say, oh, pastors and missionaries, they do the, the sacred work that God calls them to do. And, and, and everybody else, everyone else is kind of like, you're, you're the, the junior workers and, and you kind of do the, the lower stuff of regular jobs. Scripture does not teach that. God has wired you the same way he's wired me. He's wired me to do the job I do. He's wired you to do the job that you do. And he's created us for work. Why? To reflect his image, to reflect his creativeness, to get our hands dirty. You know, there's another part in scripture that, that, that kind of sheds more light on this in a real practical way. And I never, I never thought of this till I just heard of this this week, and it's this. When you were reading through Scripture, can you guess who the first person mentioned in all of Scripture, the very first person that was said to be filled with the Spirit of God? I'm thinking, was it Abraham? Was it, was it Moses? Was it Joshua? For sure, it must be Joshua, or, or maybe Noah, or David. I mean, you would think we would know who's the person, what's the person's name whose Scripture first actually says this person's filled with the Spirit of God? It's actually a famous Bible character that, that we've all grown to know and love. His name is Bezalel. <laughs> right? Remember singing the songs about Bezalel in, in, in Sunday school? Right? The Veggie Tale story about Bezalel, right? No, there, there isn't one, right? We, we don't talk about this. We've never heard of this guy, but in Exodus 35, we read that he was filled with the Spirit of God. Now you're like, okay, what did Bezalel do? He must have been a priest. He, he must have been a prophet or, or a great leader in, in Jerusalem. Who was he? You know who he was? He was a craftsman. He did construction. He eventually became a foreman. He, he oversaw the work, and, and eventually God used him to help oversee the building of the, of the tabernacle. But, but the Spirit of God filled him as what? As a craftsman. Listen, we redeem our work when we bring it into a proper biblical light, that we were divinely designed by God to reflect his image in our work. In fact, even the word vocation comes from the Latin voca, which means to call. 
It's, it's a calling. It's how God designed you, in, and he called you into the world to work in the way that he's called you. And, and I, I get this. You, you can hear all of this, and you could say, that sounds really nice. That sounds good on a Sunday morning sitting in here as, as preacher boys saying, our work is a calling. It's a beautifully designed by God. And you're like, yeah, you don't know where I work. My job's brutal. I hate my job. My job does not feel divinely inspired on Monday morning. Listen, I get that. I agree with you. I, I love my job. I love being the pastor of this church. I can't imagine myself doing anything else, and yet there are days where even the best of jobs can be unbelievably frustrating, where even the greatest jobs can be terribly crushing, F filled with, with difficulty, filled with anxiety, filled with troubles, and Here's the thing, things were going really well in the Garden of Eden. As God says, you're gonna work, you're gonna reflect my image as we work together. And then what happened in Genesis 3? Sin enters the scene. In that moment where we choose sin, where in Adam and Eve we make the same choice, where, where they chose we would rather be our own gods, sin comes into the world and in that moment our work even became more difficult. Now what are we doing? Now we're battling the curse of sin. The curse of sin that on, on divinely created work. And, and so now we have an enemy against us as we're trying to work. We have an enemy of sin. We have an enemy of Satan. We have the enemy of our own heart and pride. And it's pushing against us in our work. Flip over to Colossians 3. Hopefully you've got your finger there or something there. Because of sin, not every job is going to be fulfilling. Not everything we do will work out. Not everything you touch will always be perfect. There will be mistakes. We will fail. We'll get stuck in jobs that we hate. We'll, we'll not always be paid great money for the work that we do. So, so how do I find my heart in a good place if this divinely appointed work given to me from God when sin starts to mess with it? How can my heart be filled then? How can I be energized then? Here's our second point this morning. It's this. It's when I see my work as worship. It's when I see my work as worship. You start with a proper view of what work is. Work is a, a, a sacred thing that God's given to us. We were created to work, but then sin and Satan, our own brokenness, starts to mess with it and starts to twist what work is. But listen, through Christ, we have a way where even our work is redeemed. When we begin to see our work even as an act of worship. In fact, here your Bible's open. Look at verses 23 and 24 of Colossians chapter three. It says this, it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. Can you see the worship in that verse? Can, can you see where, where there's worship there where I'm doing this for the Lord? I'm actually doing this as an act of worship that what I do in my job on Monday morning as I begin to work on the work site, in the office, in the classroom as a student, at home as a stay-at-home parent, that as I start to work, it's worship. And what's that look like practically? How, how do I do this? How do I have this be an act of worship to the Lord. Just a few things. Here's the first thing we need to do. We need to work hard. If we're worshiping in our work, we work hard. 
It's God who's called us to work. Our boss hasn't called us to work ultimately. Our salary ultimately hasn't called us to work, but God called us to work. And so that's why it says, look again in chapter three, Colossians, verse 23, work heartily, work hard. As for the Lord, not for men. Why? Because you're serving the Lord. We have a higher boss than our employer. We have a greater reward. He says, you serve for the inheritance you have. What's the inheritance? The new life you have in Christ. When you've given your life over and said, I'm not pursuing sin any longer. I'm pursuing the hope I have in Christ's perfect life, his sacrificial death on my behalf, his resurrection that sets me free. I'm putting my hope there. And because of that, you now have an eternal inheritance. So in Colossians, the apostle Paul saying, you work for that. And everything we do, you do it unto God, which, which means that when you work, you're saying something about the worthiness of God. In fact, I was watching these documentaries. Uh, we were watching nature documentaries uh, as a family, just kind of just watching these things. They're kind of cool. You see all these animals, but there's, there's one thing that, that I've always been fascinated about in nature. It's, it's those, those fish that are, that are so many deep miles at the bottom of the ocean where no one had seen them for centuries, millennia. There's these fish down there. They're, they're fish that, that science like, we've never seen this before. Why did God create those? Those ones with the little light that light. Have you seen those ones? They're super cool, right? So for thousands of years, why were those things down there? Why are flowers growing in valleys that no people will ever see? God does something, some things for his own glory. God does some things for his own pleasure. And he, here's what we need to see in those things, that God sees even when we don't. God sees when no one else sees. Think about that for your workplace. Th that you make beautiful things for God as you work, even when no one sees it. Now we can say, yeah, but you don't understand. In my workplace, my, my boss is terrible. He, he doesn't reward me properly. He, he doesn't ever give me recognition. And I get it, that, that's hard. And, and that can lead to burnout. That can lead to discouragement and loss of motivation. But listen, listen, you're not doing it for the glory of your supervisor or your boss or your teacher or your parents. You're doing it for the Lord. And you gotta remember that when Paul was writing that to the church in Colossia, when he, when he says, hey, hey guys, work hard to, as to the Lord, you gotta see the verses around that. He's talking not just to people who have good jobs, not to people who even have hard jobs. He says, hey, slaves, work hard unto the Lord as you serve your masters. Like we say today, my boss totally owns me. Yeah, yeah, not like bosses own people then right? For them, it was literal. But, but even there, in the worst situation, in the, the least rewarding of circumstances, what is Paul calling us to do? What's God's word saying to do? He's saying, you work what? As a statement of God's worthiness. You work for God's glory. In fact, you look through the New Testament, you see that this is one of the ways that sets apart the early church. One of the ways that should set us apart as Christ followers, that we do our work for the glory of God. So that when you, when you hit the job site or the office or the classroom or, or the, the kitchen or the home, as, as kids, as you hit up your chores even, what you, you see the greater calling on your life. I'm working hard because I'm working for the Lord. 
to it. If you really want to get the world's attention, if you want, to, you want people to go, man, I wish they would see the glory of Christ. I wish, I wish my, my friends would come to church. I wish they would, they would hear the gospel. I mean, you do great work for a boss who's a jerk and people will notice. You serve hard on a job where, where, where people are saying, man, we haven't gotten a raise in so long and you continue to work hard. And why? Because you can say, ultimately, I'm doing this because I love and serve God. I'm not doing this to make more money. And that will get the world's attention. And when people come up to you and say, why do you have so much joy in this job? Why are you the one that's always working so hard and so diligently? You can say, because I work for the Lord. They'll give you a weird look. For sure they will. But here, here's what's really hard. In fact, let me, let me say this. Let, let, let me kind of put on my tough pastor hat for a second. We need to take a hard look at how we work as Christians. Your job performance is a walking testimony of Christ. If, if you're a bad employee, if, if you're lazy, if you complain all the time, if you're not working hard, if you're distracted all the time and, and stealing time from your employer, it is a terrible testimony for Christ. It just is. And, and your mouth may say, Jesus is my Lord, but your actions say, I do whatever I feel like. Your mouth might say, Jesus is Lord, but your, your, the way you work is saying, I'm the Lord of my life. I mean, let, let's remember who we serve. And when we remember that, we work hard. Even in a job that's not our dream job. Even if you, you still haven't found that, that vocation, that calling. I mean, I love how Paul says in the New Testament, he's, he says that his calling was, was the gospel. And so he goes planting churches. That's his calling. But what did he do? He also made tents. He did something that wasn't, wasn't his passion. His passion wasn't making tents. But for a season, that's what he had to do in order to fulfill the calling that God had on his life. And he says this again, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive your inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. So we work hard. Here's the second thing that we do. How do we worship at our work? How do we display Christ in our workplace? We work honestly. We work honestly. Now, I heard a story about uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He, he, was, he worked in British government, and, and as a practical joke, he, he, he picked 12 guys that he knew were upstanding, well-known, just great workers in Great Britain, and, and he, he sent them this anonymous telegram, and all it said was this, flee at once, all is discovered. It's all said, flee at once, all is discovered. He waited six hours and then he checked in on these guys. All 12 of them were packing. <laughs> Lack of integrity isn't something new in the workplace for us. But, but if we're gonna redeem our work, if we're gonna see it as an act of worship unto the Lord, it means we're gonna have the highest integrity because we're working for the Lord. We're reflecting his image. It says in Proverbs that a, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. A false balance. It means you're, you're fudging the numbers a little bit. It's an abomination to the Lord. You're padding your business expenses. You're, you're calling in sick when you're not. You're tweaking your taxes a little bit. It's an abomination to God. 
If, if we're going to worship God in our work, it means that we have the highest standards. It, mean, it means going well beyond even what the world's standards are for work. And here's a sad state of our, of our culture today. If you were to even ask Christians, I just had this conversation this week with a couple of guys who are believers, who are part of our church, and they're talking about this. Have you ever said this or heard this said? I'll tell you what, man, I just don't want to hire Christians. I, I don't want to work with Christians. I mean, that's us talking about ourselves. The weight that many people carry that leads to burnout sometimes is just a lack of working honestly, working in a way that God says he'll bless. If we want to worship in our work, if we want to work unto the Lord, we work honestly as Christ followers. High integrity, above board in everything we do. You want the world to look in in shock? It's when you say, no, 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 I'll pay the tax on that. What are you talking about? Because that's what I do, because I'm following Christ. We work hard, we work honestly. Here's the third thing that we do as we worship in our work. We work for others. We work for others. What I mean, if we're actually going to reflect Christ if in, in our workplace, then what do we do? We, we want to live our lives, think the way that Jesus thought. And what did Jesus do? Jesus offered up himself to others. So when you follow Christ, you're leveraging everything you have, whatever God puts in your path, whatever place God's placed you in. You're like, God, God, you have me here to bless others. I want to be like Jesus who leveraged everything for other people. What's that look like? As an employee, you start to see your work as a place to serve. And you might be serving customers. You, you might be serving other employees around you where you're working hard and, and doing what you can to bless them. You, you might be blessing your boss. You're, but you're, you're saying, I want to do this to serve. I want to do this to be a blessing. If you're a boss or a business owner, it means that you look beyond just the mere profits to you personally. And you say, how can I bless people with this business that God's given me? Not that profits are bad. Profits are great. Profits create more work for people. Profits create an opportunity for you to be able to give more. But you're serving the Lord, not the business. You're, you're serving the Lord, not yourself. Even as a customer, how, how can as a customer stepping into somebody else's workplace, how do we reflect Jesus in that place? We, we serve people. We bless people. When you go to a restaurant, do not give the $1,000 track folded in half instead of a tip. You seen those? Those are horrible. Don't, don't do that, right? Bless your waiter or waitress. I kind of always joke that I, 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 it's way cheaper for me when I eat out, out of town instead of in town because if I go to a restaurant in town, people know I'm the pastor. I'm like, dang, I got to tip big again, right? That's who we should be as Christians, we should be feeling like, I want to bless. I want to bless that person who looks beat up and wore out at the cash register. Instead of giving them back attitude, I'm going to bless them. So many people wonder, how can I be an effective witness of Jesus Christ in the workplace? I mean, what do I do? Do I hand out Bibles? Is that how I do it? Do, do I start a Bible study at lunch with all the people I work with? Those are great things that you can do. But listen, if you work hard, if you work honestly, if you work to bless others, you will stand out. I love how it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says this. Peter says, always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that you have within you. 
Give, give a defense. Give a reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready. How do we do that? You understand what that verse is saying? You're giving a reason. You're giving an answer because people are asking you. Because you're living in such a way. And at the workplace, you're working so hard. You're working so honestly. You're, you're blessing those around you. And the world watching in will say, hey, hey, how come you don't cut your taxes like I do? How come you don't complain about the boss when we're all ripping on the boss? Man, how do you have so much joy in this work that's so hard? Are people asking you these things at the workplace? Do people sense the hope that you have within you through the way that you worship Christ even in your work? And they see it and they're like, man, I just gotta ask because you're so different from what I see around me. comes when we start to see things from an eternal perspective. When we see the job we're doing now, and maybe even the job that we don't want to do, the job that we don't like, but we say, you know what? This job is bigger than just a job. There's something going on here. There's something eternal that can happen here. I can invest my life, myself, into eternal things. Yeah, yeah, for sure I don't like my job, but you know what? This job provides finances for me that I can celebrate a church that we planted in Mexico City, that I can celebrate what God's doing in the one campaign, that, that more churches are being planted in our very communities to reach people with the gospel. That, yeah, I don't like my job, but, but it, it pays me well enough that I can give and, and I can see lives being changed and marriages being healed through a biblical soul care ministry we have in our church. Yeah, my job's not the greatest, but I can display Jesus every day as I work on the job site, in the classroom, as I study hard, at home, as, I, as I'm with my family. And what happens is when we have this perspective of this is a, an act of worship to the Lord, it changes the way we work. It brings life to work. And what it's actually doing is it's reversing the curse that's pressing in on us as we work. We're stepping in the, the middle of that curse saying, no, the grace of God changes even this. Last point this morning, it's, it's more of a warning than anything as we think about working hard for the glory of God. And it's this, our third point, our last point. I will work as worship, but I won't worship my work. You see, the, the other side of working hard and striving hard, the, the other side of, of, of you know, not doing that, of being lazy, the other side, the extreme of that is we, we then turn our work into our God. We then, we then turn to workaholism. And, and burnout begins to grow. Why? Because we start to worship our work. It becomes our God. It becomes our identity. It becomes the very definition of who we are. And so what happens, like we talked about last week, we stop taking Sabbaths. Why? I can't stop working because my work is my God. It's who I am. If I stop that, what am I? I can't stop working because my work is my God. It's what provides for me. If I stop working, the God will stop providing. And listen, because of the fall, because of our bent, sinful, broken hearts, many of us begin to worship our work. We make it our identity. We make it our security. And what happens is the burnout doesn't so much come from the work we're doing. It's the work beneath the work. 
It's that striving and working. And I gotta do this so I'm accepted. I gotta do this so I have identity. I gotta do this so I feel good about myself. When it becomes our identity, when it becomes our total purpose, when it becomes our hope, it's an unbearable weight that's killing us. Because listen, if, 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 if your work is your worship, if it's your God, if you worship your work, then, then what happens when something goes wrong with your career? You don't have self anymore. You're lost. If, if something goes wrong financially, you, you don't have a being anymore. You don't have an identity anymore. You don't have meaning anymore when you set up work as your God. But we see all the way back, I love it, in Genesis chapter 2, all the way back there, as we started this, what did it say? It said, when God had finished his work, he rested. He finished the work of creation and he rests. And then, then what happens? Thousands of years later, the same one who was at creation, God the Son, cries out again, it is finished. The first time God rested because creation was finished, the next time Jesus Christ on the cross cried out, it is finished, so we could get rest. That we can have an ultimate rest because our identity, our purpose, our hope, our eternity is, is found in Christ. Our greatest problem is taken care of in the cross of Christ. And our greatest problem isn't a lack of money. Our greatest problem is not status. Our greatest problem is death. It's the wrath of God poured out on our sin. That's our greatest problem. And Jesus Christ stepped into that took the full wrath of God that was directed to us because of our sin and he died to reconcile us, to make us right with God. And think about that. If Jesus stepped in to take care of that, our eternal problem, will he not take care of our day today? Enough that we can obey him and say, I'm gonna rest. If you give your soul to Christ, if you rest your life on Christ, you can begin to enjoy your work. Why? Because you're no longer dependent on your work for life. When Jesus is your life, you can actually enjoy the rest of life. Because you start to recognize that the, the person whose approval you really need is God, and in Christ you have his approval. The significance you really need to, to need is, is to be significant in God's eyes. The security you really need is found in God's arms. The approval you really need is found in God's heart. And when we try to get that from our work, it crushes us. But that we understand as we head off to work that Jesus says, it's finished. You can rest. That, that work you're trying to do to accomplish in your work, Jesus already took care of that. Your identity, your security, your shame and your brokenness and your guilt, Christ says it's finished. And when we come to that place, all of a sudden you're not so driven anymore. You, you're not so pushed into the ground by your work anymore. Finally, you can just work. Because work now is just about work. It's not about who you are. As the worst team comes up, as we end off this morning, listen, 
we're never gonna have this joy in our work until we realize that the striving has been taken care of by Christ. That when Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, he took the burden, the heart striving, the, the I need to be right, I need to be fixed, I need to be okay, I need to have an identity. He took all of that, all of that. He says, I've given you it all that moment where we say, I can give my sin and my brokenness, I can repent and turn from that, and I can find hope in Christ. That it's not my work that makes my identity, that my identity is found in Christ, and in that, we find rest. Let, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that even this morning, <coughs> God, I pray that you would give us a clearer vision of who you are. And that God, that, that, that we wouldn't be, have our, our, our hearts and our minds and our eyes distracted and, and distracted by the things of the world, distracted to grasp after things that we don't need to grasp for anymore, but that we'd have a clear vision of who you are. And that God, even as we step into what you've called us to for, for Monday morning, God, whether we're, whether we're stepping into a classroom or whether we're stepping into a job site or an office or into a nursery. God, that we would see you. God, that you would be our vision. That our hope and our identity and our purpose is found in you. Lord God, I pray for those who are here this morning who, who know you, who, who have already experienced your, your resurrection in their life because they've turned their life to you to say, I'm following after you. Nothing else matters. I give you my sin. I want your righteousness. And God, in that moment, Lord, we're changed. But God, God, we still battle. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who, who are new in Christ. But the weight of the world is still crushing on them. God, I pray that they would not seek after identity and hope in what they do, but God, that even this morning you begin to change our hearts, that we could rest, rest in you. Father, if there's some here this morning who don't know you, who have never made that decision to, to put their hope in you, but have just continued to walk, continue to work, continue to strive, to, to try to be good and right and find hope, God, that, that this morning they would finally just rest and surrender they would see you. God, you would be their vision. God, may that be true of all of us this morning, that we would see you high and lifted up. We would see your cross in our place, your resurrection to bring us life and hope. And God, it would change us from the inside out. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.